Instagram perfect is no longer just for fashion models. Whenever we turn to social media, we see spiritual healers with curated feeds talking about how they have their stuff together. At the same time, we see others go to cringy lengths to be emotionally vulnerable, not knowing that there is a fine line between authenticity and showcasing something that may be better off on reality TV. If that's not enough, we keep getting messaging that we need to heal ourselves, often by facing our darkest issues head on. In this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, we're bringing on author, empathic mentor, and master trainer for EFT International, Jennifer Moore, to discuss how hustling and working on the biggest, messiest emotional issues may not be the best route to healing ourselves. We'll also discuss how social media encourages performative acts of vulnerability and how new healers face unique challenges when trying to understand their own limits. Finally, we'll talk about the need to focus on our own healing process in addition to helping others, as well as introduce listeners to the emotional freedom technique, also known as EFT or tapping. It's time to get your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays, breaking through the hustle, exploring misconceptions of healing in modern culture with guest Jennifer Elizabeth Moore. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. And welcome back, listeners. Today we have Jennifer Elizabeth Moore here to talk with us about healing. In other words, everything that we learned about healing is wrong. So hi, Jennifer. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Jess. Or do you go by Jessica or Jess? Sorry, I just immediately uh, thought Jess. Fine. Jessica, great. Yeah. Okay. How about you on this one? Do you go by Jennifer or Jen? I go by all of the above. Everybody calls me Jen, but my sort of my pen name is Jennifer. And then my nephews call me Jenny. My brother and my sister and my nephews call me Jenny. So I have, I go by many things. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Awesome. So my audience is curious. Tell us a little bit more about yourself. My name is Jennifer Elizabeth Moore, and I am an author. I'm the author of the award-winning and Amazon bestseller, Empathic Mastery, which is a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. Mm -hmm. And I am also an EFT master trainer for EFT International. And if you're not familiar with the words EFT, that stands for Emotional Freedom Techniques. And AFT International is actually the only nonprofit organization and certifying body in the, on the entire planet for EFT practitioners. It's a really amazing organization. Mm -hmm. And so I am very, very honored to be one of the master trainers for EFTI. 
And I am also a mentor and healer and intuitive guide for highly sensitive empaths. And so that's kind of the medium length version of who I am and what I do. Awesome. All right. Great. Thanks for sharing. So when we talked before we recorded this, we talked about this whole concept of healing and the myth versus reality of that. I want to share a little bit more of your thoughts on that topic. I would love to. So, you know, I've been having this conversation recently with one of my mentees about feeling like we're broken. You know, the core idea that so many of us seem to carry around, and especially like when we go into healing with this idea that there's something wrong with us that needs to be fixed. And I think that one of the things is when we are always looking at ourselves as the problem, when we're always looking at ourselves as being wrong, being broken, needing to do something, that really does kind of drive that sort of do, 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 hustle culture of healing that you and I were talking about. And the idea that we have a goal, like we're trying to get somewhere with our healing. And what I have personally found so often is that the irony is that acceptance and love is the key to transforming ourselves, not looking at it and being like, that is wrong and it needs to be fixed. And so what I've noticed is that there's this almost irony that when we can accept ourselves exactly where we are, warts and all, and be present with compassion and kindness towards ourselves and other people about our pain, that miracles happen. Whereas when we scrutinize the pain and sort of try to dig it out by the root or go in deep, I think a lot of times what we end up doing is reinforcing the idea that we're not absolutely divine and perfect exactly as we are. So that's kind of my my first sort of round of, in this lightning round of conversation about healing, that's kind of my first, first sort of thought about it. So when you mentioned like someone trying to like dig it out at the root or, or cut out that, that pain and that issue as a process of healing, so our listeners have that point of reference so that they can go, oh my gosh, that's me, or maybe not, hopefully not. What does that look like if someone is trying to like do that heavy work, but it's not really helping them in the process? So I'll talk about my own experience because, you know, I am white hair to prove it. I've been on the healing journey and on a healing path at this point for like four decades. And I started training back as a breath worker in the early 90s. And at that point in time, the idea was you had to go big or go home. It's like if it wasn't dramatic, it wasn't it like you weren't if you didn't have some major epiphany, it's somehow you weren't doing it the right way. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to go and spend two to three or four days at these healing retreats, lying in a room with like big amplifiers and speakers, just boom, 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 going and just doing this like deep, intense breath work with like periods of just like screaming, like screaming. And I would come away from it feeling like a, a baby duck, you know, or a baby chick that had just hatched, like feeling very exhausted from the effort, but also sort of like 
I've done this amazing work and also horse. Like I would be like, I wouldn't be able to talk. But the thing about it was that it was this quality of, I have to go after the deepest, darkest, gnarliest, worst thing. And that's the only way that I'm going to be able to heal myself. And I have to look for the thing. And also this idea that if I'm not ready to do the work, that I have resistance to doing the work, that there's something wrong with me if I'm feeling like, yeah, I'm not ready to go into that, that would be like, oh, that's just because you're being a coward instead of maybe your subconscious or your instincts are telling you this is not the right place to go, that this would cause more harm than good. And so for me, what would often happen would be that I would have these breakthrough moments at these events and these weekends, but then I would come back and within a few days to a few weeks, I would be struggling with the same issues. I would Uh be struggling with the same level of anxiety. I would be struggling with the same sense of, I'm not good enough. I'm not okay. I'm not doing this the right way. I'm broken and I need to be fixed. I need to be better. One of the ideas that a lot of us used to have was that we would always go for what's called the first or worst. You know, Mm. like looking for the first event that really like you know, the traumatizing seminal event that started the whole mess or the worst thing. And like having that courage to just be like, just suck it up, buttercup, and go there and do the dark, deep thing. Like go into the gnarliest stuff. And what I have found is that a lot of times, if we are not really ready to do that work, and also if we have not done work to calm and settle and soothe our nervous system, What happens when we go into that stuff prematurely and as the first thing, we have a tendency to stir up the muck at the bottom of the pool and overstimulate an already dysregulated nervous system. And so what I have found for myself is that the most effective healing is ironically the gentlest, not the let's go for the jugular. And if you're not willing to go after the darkest, gnarliest, worst memory or share the hard story, that somehow that's a sign of you just don't have the cojones to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does that make sense? Does that? Yeah, that does. I'm being able to know that. So what would that gentle healing process look like? Part of that gentle healing process looks like the willingness to be willing to be uncomfortable, the willingness to be willing to sit with ourselves and to have mercy, like fierce compassion for ourselves when we are going through a hard time and to hold that space for the difficult stuff. One of the things about the hustle culture and healing culture and also just kind of the whole sort of way that the wellness world and especially the new age world has kind of progressed is that there seems to be this misunder I don't know, I believe a misconception that if you're doing it right, you're happy all the time. Human beings are complex and we are not like happiness is one emotion. 
But we also experience grief. We also experience fear. We also experience anger. We also experience doubt. We also experience curiosity. There are so many different emotions that we as human beings experience. And yet we have this tendency, I think many of us, to make emotions wrong if they are ones that we are not comfortable with or ones that we've never learned to sit with. The very beginning of this is just the willingness to be present with feelings and accept that some days are harder than others. Some days we feel lonely. Some days we feel grief. Some days we feel concern or worry, and that's okay. So I really see, for me, just that fundamental shift in our philosophy about how we treat ourselves around our feelings is part of the key. And then obviously, as an emotional freedom technique practitioner and trainer, I really believe very strongly in the power of using EFT, which is also known, the broader term is tapping. But EFT, specifically through EFT International, uses very, very gentle techniques that are really about being able to sit with ourselves and sit with other people in the depth of whatever, or in the presence, let's not say depth, but in the presence of whatever is going on for us and to be able to sit with those feelings and let it be okay. The irony in my experience is that when we accept things, they shift. When we reject things or resist things or try to make them wrong, they have this horrible tendency to just get worse and worse and worse. Like they double down. It's almost like, you know, when you were a little kid, every one of us at some point got stung by a mosquito. And there's the thing where it's like your mom is like, don't scratch it, don't scratch it. You're gonna make it worse if you scratch it. And of course, you're a kid, you scratch it. And what happens? It provokes the histamine reaction. It causes the system to just go like cuckoo nuts. And suddenly what had been maybe a tiny little red well is suddenly this big bump on your arm or your leg or wherever. And it's like all you can think about is how uncomfortable you are because you've got this mosquito bite that's not going away. And yet, ironically, then maybe something happens, your cousin comes over and you're like, hey, let's go ride bikes. Let's go do this other thing. And you forget about the mosquito bite. And all of a sudden, it's like you just let it go. There's a sort of acceptance that it just is what it is. And suddenly it's like somebody's like, hey, how's that mosquito bite? And you're kind of like, mosquito bite? What mosquito bite? There's that quality of when we direct our attention towards the problem in this way that about this is wrong and I want it to be better. So often we exacerbate it. Whereas when we're like, yep, it is what it is. It is uncomfortable. This is happening. There's this way that it has more of an opportunity to shift. Got it. Yeah. And yeah, as soon as you're mentioning the whole issue of once you accept your situation, it's a lot better. I've seen that in more contemporary spiritual writers thank goodness that it's like they're bringing up the whole it's like when you resist things you're actually making it worse on yourself so that's an important bit of wisdom on there now you mentioned the whole hustle culture healing culture and the intersection of like new age spirituality and how there's like this almost implied pressure to be happy all the time yes 
Do you feel that the way that a lot of new age people or spiritual people show up online might be contributing to that? Especially if we're marketing ourselves, we end up curating the positive that's going on in our life. And then much like body image issues coming up with models, now you have spiritual people who are like, okay, all I see are happy people. Something is wrong with me. There's a couple things that are coming to my mind. One is Glennon Doyle, who I really admire because she is not afraid to be a hot mess. And I really love her for her honesty and her sincerity. And she has a remarkable podcast called We Can Do Hard Things. And Glennon recently has come out about her recent diagnosis with anorexia. And she's talking about what she's dealing with with this mental health diagnosis. And she's been talking about this idea of how so many people wait for the ta-da, that they wait for that opportunity to be able to talk about being on the other side of the mess. Like, I was this train wreck, but now because of this five-step system or because of this modality that I learned from shamans on the top of Mount Everest, that I now am perfect and I can teach you how to be perfect too. We, as a culture, have a tendency to hold off on sharing our mess and hold off on talking about the messy middle and the intensity. I also have noticed, though, that because I've been in the healing world for over four decades, I've been around the scene, I've watched it go from a place where the focus was much more on modality, was much more on technique was much more on mastery to a period where about maybe 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden it became about marketing. I was actually taught when I was working with a couple different people, but especially one business coach, her niche was working with transformational entrepreneurs and healers. What she said was, people do not care about your credentials. People do not care about what your experience or your skill set is or your level of experience or skill. All people want to know is that you get what they're going through and that you understand what they need and that you can speak to their pain and you can offer them light at the end of the tunnel that suggests that you have a solution for them. What I was taught was, in terms of marketing, you don't talk about your skills. You don't talk about the modality. You don't talk about your accredited, certified, degreed, and know what the ever-loving F they are doing versus people who are slick marketers. You know, as you're speaking, you were talking about the challenge of this curated happiness that we're seeing everywhere. I also think that part of it is all of the things that people are being told they shouldn't be including. So that it is this idea of like, look at her, she's got it totally together. I will say though, that there's also that other weird quality of performative vulnerability, where you get the people who are like doing their like crying on the reel in the middle of their, you know, and, and like boundarylessness of like, yeah, like, I'm just like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, did you just really say that? And so there is also this kind of weird manipulation of sharing your mess, but sharing it as a marketing strategy. Because Ram Dass says we're all just walking each other home. And there is another part of it is like this idea of gurus, this idea of hierarchy, this idea of 
this person is somehow more evolved, more advanced, more, you know, further along than I am. They have something I don't have, and I'm going to give my money, I'm going to give my power, I'm going to give my energy over to this person because they are telling me that they have figured it out. We could go off on a whole tangent about these people who are all into the whole like, well, you're just so 3D, but I'm really 5D. These people who who like have this idea that like somehow, even though they're in a human body, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, okay, 3D versus 5D. What is this? But that's its own episode. We're just, we're not going to go into that. Okay, into- yeah, let's not go into that. Yeah, 3D versus 5D, but like, oh, um, gee. It's like, last time I looked, you still needed to sleep. Last time I looked, you still needed to eat. Last time I looked, you still needed to take a bath and you still needed to poop. Like, yeah. come on, people. You know, let, let's drop the pretension. Yeah. Yeah. That hits home a lot on it. The, the performative vulnerability across the board. And it's, it's not just spiritual people who are marketers. It's something I've noticed a lot in internet culture in general. And I was guilty of it too, of overly emoting to a large audience. I have since pulled way back on that because I realized that a lot of that was drawn from my need for affirmation mm-hmm. and having to be like, oh, no, no, it's like, okay. Give this to my small circle of friends to actually bounce ideas off of. And other than that, I don't need to show that off in order to get sympathy. We're seeing a lot of that of people thinking that in order to feel like their pain is valid, they have to cry on TikTok. Looking at their responses to that, you have people who are being sympathetic and then you have others who are looking at that and going, that's not healthy and that's not normal. Not to put the marker on what is or isn't healthy. It's a maladaptive coping mechanism. It's not going to get them closer to where they they may even want to be. So there's that issue. And then when we're talking about like the gurus and mastery, my mind immediately went to not to knock on Reiki practitioners. A lot of them are great, amazing people, but this whole Reiki degree in a weekend or Reiki zero to master in a weekend And you have people out there who, and I know some people are going to be offended, but whatever, who are hot messes in life. Yes. And they have all these issues that are going on and they come in and they're like, I'm a Reiki master from like either a weekend or maybe a couple of short things versus understanding like the concept of Reiki. This is legit a mastery. It's you have to cultivate that energy within yourself in order to be able to provide it to other people. It's not just simply you kind of being this little human straw as it were for energy. You gotta take care of your life there. And anyone who is providing that safe space for others, whether it's divination, whether it's tapping, whether it's energy work or all of those, you gotta have your house at least a little bit clean or be able to admit that you're human. Well, in terms of having your house a little bit clean or your house a little bit in order, being able to recognize what are your skill sets, what are you good at and what are you not good at. I am actually a Reiki master. I've been a Reiki practitioner and a Reiki master since the 90s. So I've been on this path for a long time. And what I will say is that even though you can do a Reiki training in a weekend, you are not fully integrated with the energy of being a master for a couple years. And 
My personal experience was that I received the download and then it was about what I had to do to integrate and step into, to expand into that consciousness, that awareness. Part of this is that because we have been in a culture where the idea of sharing credentials is no longer considered necessary, I think that there are a number of people who actually honestly believe that if they were a high priestess in a previous life and they can remember being a healer in another life, they don't need to give any credibility or any kind of training or any kind of accountability or supervision or mentoring in this life to become who they are. And I remember other lives. I've been on this healing path and this spiritual path for multiple lives. I recall these things. Your mileage may vary. You may or may not believe in past lives. This is my reality. But the thing is that just because I wear the high priestess crown in another life or like Anna Nunnery in another life does not mean I am qualified to claim those credentials in this lifetime. I think a lot of people do not understand the need for education, that there is a certain dumbing down that unfortunately I think we have in our culture that has spread not only just across the mainstream, but even within the healing world where people are like, well, I channeled this modality and it's just as legitimate. And part of me is like, I hear that you channeled this modality. My personal feeling is anytime somebody is not willing to put themselves to the scrutiny of checks and balances, and being in community where they are in dialogue with other people about the work that they are doing, I believe that ego is involved. Be infallible, and I am capable of making a mistake because I am human. And as long as I'm in a human body, I have a margin of error. And so as a result, I believe very strongly that no matter how far down the road I go, I mean, I am a master trainer for EFT International. I am a Reiki master. I am a Wiccan high priestess. Like I have the credentials. I will never stop getting mentoring. I will never stop getting supervision because I will always have blind spots where I may be missing something because of my own growing edges. This value of apprenticeship, this value of mentoring, this value of accreditation, this value of needing to jump through hoops in order to really be impeccable with the work that we do has kind of gotten thrown under the bus with this idea of I'm good enough just the way you are. And it's like, yes, we are good enough just the way we are. But if we want to step into arenas where we are helping other people with really deep, intense, traumatic stuff, we need more than a past life memory of the work we've done. I mean, this is, I mean, I don't know if you can hear my, I mean, I'm so passionate about this. Yeah, I can definitely thing. hear and I feel I know we've gone off tangent, yeah. but I feel this very important tangent yeah. because I think that a lot of what we're seeing, especially when it comes to healers and other spiritual practitioners, is another form of woundedness, another form of injury that we're trying to heal. Like we're simultaneously telling people, okay, you have to accept yourself, come at things where you are, but at the same time we're so afraid of admitting where we are ourselves right right that we either like downplay the importance of actual expertise 
or do you need for community as you shared? I am all for peer review when it comes to practitioners or anyone who's out there sharing their knowledge or wisdom on there, even if it's channeled, even if it comes from a source that's personal to them. Others can either confirm it or they can provide other guidance, which may be more helpful as well. It's part of the whole conundrum when it comes to healing is our acceptance of our limitations, as it were. Yes, yes. And, you know, having the humility to recognize where our wheelhouse is, what we are good at and what we are not good at. One of the things that I've also noticed is that with many of us, when we come onto the healing journey, and especially if we've been struggling, we've been suffering for a long time, and we find a modality or have an experience where we get some relief, so frequently we are so grateful for that, that we want to share it with the world. It's like, oh my God, I finally have this tool. But what I think often happens is we want to jump the gun. We want to rush ahead and we want to offer these things before we are fully grounded in it, before we are fully prepared. As a saying, you know, God protects drunk schools and children. And, you know, when I was younger, I would say, I mean, not necessarily a drunk, but I was definitely a fool and a child. I look at some of the things that I did as a young healer. And I look at some of the ways that where I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, you have this history of abuse and and, you know, trauma and this thing that happened to you. Let's just go in and deal with it. And I look at some of the things and some of the ways that I approach things. And I was so naive and I was so innocent that, you know, I'm just beyond grateful that I did not cause more harm or do more damage to some of the people that first entrusted me with their journey. Um, I did because because I do think that a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And baby healers especially bring so much exuberance and so much enthusiasm and so much excitement. But what they often do is they bite off more than they can chew. They're also very afraid to say, this is not my wheelhouse. This is not my skill set. This is not what I am good at. So like, for example, I do not work with veterans. I am not part of military culture. I have never been part of military culture. I am, you know, an airy, fairy, tree-hugging, you know, peacenik. And while I have mad respect for our military, like I've known many people in the military, I have a lot of respect for them. I also really understand that I don't understand their culture. I'm not part of their culture. And while in a pinch, Maybe if there was a situation where I was the only person there, I'd be more than willing to see if I could help somebody get some temporary relief to regulate their nervous system. I am very clear that this is not my job. There are people who are more equipped, who are better suited to the work, which also brings me to another part of it, which is that I think sometimes there's a little bit of ego in this idea that we're the only one who's ever going to be able to meet this person's need. And... You know, you were talking about that idea of validation, that we go to other people for validation, that there's a certain kind of need for being recognized, being affirmed, being validated. And I think that as healers, sometimes the need to be needed is part of that wound inside of us that feels like this is what makes me worthy in the world. And we will attract clients 
who are going to say things like, oh my God, you're the only person who I could ever have do this with me. You're the only person I trust. I don't know what I would do without you. And the truth is they would, they would figure it out. Like I could die tomorrow and I would have a lot of people who would be very, very sad to lose their teacher and lose their mentor and their healer, but they would survive. Like they would keep going. I think we get into this sense of we buy into the other, we buy into our own sense of urgency and we buy into the other person's sense of urgency. You know, that's a big thing. It's like recognizing the paradox of we are both great and then at the grand scheme of things, we are also very small. Both are true simultaneously and it's hard to reconcile that within us so it's like am I one or am I other I'm like you're both you're both it just simply is the way the world is so we've talked about humility we've talked about or ego we've talked about that needs to be needed what other obstacles do people put in their own way when it comes to healing whether a practitioner or someone who may not even be a practitioner so the immediate word that comes to my mind is agenda One of the things that I work really hard with my EFT students to help them to break free of is an agenda. The idea that this is the way it should look at the end of the session. This is what we're going for. And I think that a lot of times when we have expectations about what the healing is going to look like, what the result is going to look like, either as the practitioner or as the client or when we're doing self-healing work, a lot of times what that means is that we are we're blocking the flow and the process because when something comes up that doesn't look like what we think it should look like we ignore it when it is actually the solution when it is actually the glue when it's actually the piece and so letting go of the agenda you know in the broader world of tapping there is a very, very wide spectrum of people who call themselves tapping professionals or EFT practitioners. And there's a very, very, very broad range of training, like very broad range of training. You can take a course on Udemy and call yourself an EFT practitioner. Whereas I run a level one and two training that takes 11 weeks of doing that. And that's the very beginning. It's the tip of the iceberg. And then there's a rigorous process of doing clinical sessions and writing case studies and taking tests and getting supervision before then you can become certified and accredited. In the world, say, I'm speaking to my modality because this is one I know really well. What I've noticed is you'll have people where instead of somebody is feeling sad, somebody is feeling lonely, somebody is having or is going through a really difficult time, Even instead of just, even though I feel so lonely and there's this depth, there's this, it feels like this bottomless pit in my gut. They are like, even though I feel so lonely, I am truly lovable and wonderful. I am truly lovable and wonderful. What I've noticed is that there's a lot of like wanting to jump to the solution or the way we want to feel. But often, not even the person who's feeling it, it's like the practitioner who is rushing into rescue and offering their idea of what the solution looks like. And so one of the things that I'm always, I always find interesting is when I'm talking with somebody 
if they say, oh, so-and-so said these things to me, so-and-so said to me that, like, my issue is in, my issue is in my root chakra and I don't feel safe. So she gave me, you know, the, so, so we, we did this thing to fix it and she, you know, and, and we implanted this affirmation. And while these things can work, when it is not coming from within our own inner wisdom, it doesn't usually take purchase in the same way that it will actually integrate if we are the ones who are coming to it. There's a thing within EFT that talks about the concept of cognitive shift versus reframe. A cognitive shift is when somebody is like, so, you know, say somebody has went through a horrendous experience at the age of five and they had parents who blamed them for everything. And, you know, we use energy healing, we do some tapping on it, and all of a sudden they realize, oh my God, I was five years old. I was completely innocent. I didn't know any better. It wasn't my fault. I didn't cause this. Those were the adults who were behaving like absolute idiots. Those were the adults who were being mean and abusive. It's not my fault. There's a really big difference between that person finding that answer and the practitioner going, even though I was only five, like I was only five, it's not my fault. Like the person has not had that cognitive shift internally. It does not matter how many times the practitioner says, you are not broken. You are perfect exactly as you are. It's not your fault. You were naive, you, know, you were innocent. You were perfect exactly as you are. That's not gonna land because they have not gotten there themselves. A lot of times, agenda, the idea of I know what's better for you than you do, all I can do is sit with you and be present with you and be present with myself in the places where it's still messy, it's still challenging, and instead of being like, well, I know what's better for me, maybe we just sit with it and find out like, okay, what happens if we just sit here? What happens if we just acknowledge it? What happens if we just examine it for a minute? What happens if we just give it room to breathe? Points there. Is there anything else that we can do to help in that process? There's two things I want to hold up. One thing is I have been really, really getting into gravity lately. And I know that may sound like a really weird thing to say, but I've been really tuning into my awareness of my body's connection to gravity. And the fact that no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing while I'm on the earth, unless I met work, was in like a gravityless chamber, which I've never been in and I probably never will be in, I am always feeling the impact or the effect of how gravity holds me to the earth. And there is something about knowing that I am held here, that the earth rises up to meet me, that is holding me and supporting me, that allows me, when I really tune into it, that allows me to give my weight, to give my burdens, and to let myself be held. That is one of the very first places where I've been going, is just allowing myself to not just be held, but to feel held. Because I am always held. You are always held. Every one of us on this planet is always held by the earth, but we don't feel it because we are so disconnected from the earth. So for me, that is actually one of the very first steps is grounding, is reconnecting to the fundamental truth that we are cells in the body of this earth, 
that we are part of this earth, we are of this earth, that we are held by this earth, we are on this earth, and that this is our home, and that it supports us. It literally rises up to meet us and support us. So that's the first piece of it. And then the second piece of it is just simply acknowledging where we're at. I really love putting my hands over my heart and just doing three breaths, breathing in calmness, breathing in love and compassion, and then breathing out the static, breathing out the worry, breathing out the stress, and just giving myself permission to just be and allowing again my nervous system to settle down. But something I learned a while ago is that sometimes even breath is more than we can handle. If we are really dysregulated, if we are really spinning out. But um, sometimes the first thing that, you know, just getting back online, just getting back on the body. So what I really like to do is like do a sensory inventory. And smell are like two of the most primitive, primeval, you know, instinctive, like lizard brain parts of us. So what I will usually do is I will just start with tuning into what am I smelling? If I breathe in, what do I smell? What can I sense in my environment? And then what am I hearing? What am I hearing right here? What am I hearing a little bit past me? What am I hearing beyond me? What am I hearing in my neighborhood? What am I hearing way off in the distance? What am I seeing? Like what colors are around me? What am I seeing to either side of me? What am I seeing below me, above me, behind me? What am I noticing? What am I feeling? What am I feeling beneath me? What is the temperature in the room? What is the sensation of air against my skin? What am I feeling in my own body? Do I feel a sense of heaviness or leaden weight in my stomach? What am I feeling? And what am I tasting? And interestingly, taste, a sip of water, can be an incredibly powerful way to get ourselves back online and back into our bodies. So just like grabbing a glass of water, or in my case, a big thing of decaf, you know, and just taking a sip, but instead of just like doing it unconsciously the way we usually do, like being like, I'm going to pay attention to the experience of this drink. I'm going to pay attention to what it's like for it to go into my mouth. I'm going to pay attention to what it's like for it to go down my throat. I'm going to follow it as far into my body as I can notice it. That is alone a spectacular exercise at bringing us back. In my years of healing and in my travels, what I think we need more than anything else is the calming of our nervous systems and the re-regulating of dysregulated nervous systems. And especially in the last three years with the pandemic, people have been spinning out. We've been through an oxymoron. We've been experiencing chronic trauma. Chronic and trauma should not be lumped together. And yet we're coming up on three years of life-threatening illness and cognitive dissonance and great division between people in the country. That's affecting a lot of us. And so more and more people are dysregulated. More and more people are more overwhelmed than they've ever been before. More and more people are coming up with or recognizing that they have ADHD 
how many women are you seeing online where they're like, oh my God, I have ADHD. While some of it is misdiagnosis or non-diagnosis, like never getting a diagnosis beforehand, I also think in many cases, it's that we as a species have run out of spoons. We've run out of bandwidth. And the first thing to go is clarity and focus. One of the most important things any of us can do is find ways to regulate our nervous system, which leads me to EFT as a tool, which is spectacularly good at regulating the nervous system. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of this. Basically, EFT is one of the simplest ways to describe it is that it is a form of mental and emotional acupuncture without the needles. And what we do is we use our hands or sometimes even just let somebody else tap on their body for us or tap on a photograph of ourselves or use, I have a stuffed bear called Tappy Bear that you can tap on the bear or like that you even imagine that you're tapping on the points in yourself. But normally you're gonna be tapping on parts of your body or applying light pressure. And so it's like tapping on the side on, on the side of the hand, sometimes on finger points, sometimes on the top of the hand, and then top of the head, and then places on your face, the, um, you know, the right at the eyebrows, the side of the eyes on the temples, under the eyes, under the nose, under the lip, collarbone, under the arm. There are some other points, but those are the main points. And then back at the top of the head. And as we sort of gently either apply pressure or gently tap, what we do is we use very simple words, not a lot of words. We don't have to overcomplicate it. As a matter of fact, when you overcomplicate it and you try to tap with the laundry list, a lot of times that actually you might feel a little bit better temporarily, but a lot of times what that does is it stirs up the pool, but it doesn't fully clean it. And so if people are like, oh, I've tried tapping, it didn't work. If you are doing the kind of what's called tap and rant, where you're just going, like airing everything, like pulling all the, cl all the clowns out of the car. The problem with that is that it has a tendency to stir more up than it settles down. The way EFT works is that there's three parts to it. First, we acknowledge what's going on and we evaluate and rate on a scale of zero to 10. How intense is it? With zero being nothing and 10 being the worst it could ever be. Then from that, we say, do what's called a setup statement, which is usually the classic version is even though I have this issue and we get as very specific as possible, even though I have this shooting pain in the back of the left side of the back of my head that, you know, this this sharp shooting red pain in the back, you know, the back of my left left side of my head, which you guys, I do not have that. I'm just using it as an example. And then we use what's called the balance statement. I love and accept myself or it is what it is, or I'm open to the possibility that this can shift. So that's called the setup. And then what we do, what's called going through a round of tapping, where we move through the points and we use what we do is just called the reminder phrase. So we just say like this shooting pain in the back of my head, this shooting pain in the back of my head. And amazingly, by just moving through these acupuncture points, which allows us to loosen the energy in our body and release places where stuff has gotten congested, we can reprogram our nervous system so it also will reset the part of our brain called the amygdala that is in charge of our fight or flight mechanism and it settles it back down. So tapping 
will allow us to re-regulate or regulate in some cases. If you were born into a very high-strung, high-drama, intense family system, it may be that you've never had a regulated nervous system. I personally did not experience what it was like to be completely calm until I was in my mid-50s. I had grown up in a very anxious household. I had grown up with a mother who was very high-strung and very anxious. I experienced her anxiety in utero, and I had been experiencing and feeling anxiety and had been basically in a state of, of hypervigilant red alert my entire life. I could get moments of relief, but I could never, ever reset. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-50s when I experienced what it is like to truly have a regulated nervous system. You know, that's about as short as I can get it. <laughs> wow. Well, the shorter version is get the books. So Empathic Mastery, a five-step system to go from emotional hot mess to thriving success. Chapter five is release, and it goes into depth about how to tap. Also, if you want to learn a lot more about tapping, you can go over to my website, EFT Instruction, which is specifically my master trainer website, where it will take you to places where you can learn about tapping as well as learn about trainings with me. If you're like, oh my God, this is the next best thing since sliced bread. I want to learn how to do this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anything else that you want to share with us since we're wrapping up? I just really, really want to say that no matter where you are, no matter where any of us are on the journey right now, it's okay. And I will tell you, because I've been around the healing world for a while, some of these people who look like they got their shit together, if you knew the stories that are going on the back end of this, you would know that they don't have their shit together. That there are a lot of people who are still absolute hot messes. And despite the fact that they might be running multi-million dollar companies and that they might be curating their appearance as having their shit together, does not mean that they necessarily do. Wherever you are in the journey is exactly where you are supposed to be. And that you are perfect exactly as you are. You are worthy of love exactly as you are. Your body is a miracle exactly as it is, regardless of whether you need to gain 10 pounds or lose 100 pounds. You are a miracle and you are worthy of taking up space. You are worthy of pleasure. You are worthy of of compassion. You are worthy of connection. For those of us who are highly sensitive and empathic, don't judge your rainbow by colorblind standards. Don't let somebody who is denying their own feelings, pushing things down, or is not doing the work, tell you that you're being crazy or that you're being too sensitive or that you're overreacting or that you haven't figured it out. It's like they probably haven't either. If somebody doesn't have compassion, if somebody can't meet you where you are and love you for your pain, that's their problem. Yeah, that's their problem. That's their problem. It's like anybody who implies that there is something wrong with you if you are in pain, I would say there's something wrong with them for implying anybody else is wrong instead of meeting somebody with compassion. Yeah. 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 
Thank you so much for sharing that. And that's a lot of nuggets a lot of wisdom of nuggets. right there. Yes. yes. Yeah. So you already mentioned one of your websites. Yeah. How else could others connect with you online? So the easiest way to reach me is empathicmastery.com. My handle is consistently on all social channels at empathicmastery. So you can find me at Empathic Mastery on Instagram, Facebook. I kind of do TikTok, but not really. Like the idea of like doing silly dances and pointing at shit is just like not my idea of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, or do performative crying. I'm a Capricorn with Virgo rising. I, I don't do performative crying. EmpathicMasteryBook.com will lead you to all the books that I'm part of or that I've written. If you want to listen to my podcast, that's EmpathicMasteryShow.com. And if you want to learn more about how to really work the five steps within a community, within a group, that is EmpathicMasteryAcademy.com. So Jess, thank you, Jessica. It's funny. I have a friend named Jess. I know. I keep on. I have an old, dear old friend who's actually my Reiki master, whose name is Jess. And so it's like I'm so used to calling her Jess. But Jessica, thank you so much for having me here tonight. This is my passion project. This is one of the hills I will die on. Talking especially about the value of credentials is a soapbox I will get on and I will shout from the rooftops about. So I just really appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation about healing because I think it's such an important conversation. Thank you for being willing to be a guest and for willing to uh, be on the soapbox yeah. <laughs> for our listeners here. You are so welcome. It has just been such a delight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That was an amazing discussion. I love talking with Jennifer Elizabeth Moore. I'm actually going to be on her podcast in a little bit. And I'm also hoping to bring her back on because I think there's a lot that she and I can talk about. And I can tell you, we lost track of time during our discussion. Anyways, let's switch gears and talk about what is coming up over the next few weeks. If you're listening to this shortly after release, we are one, we are actually less than one week away from Paganicon, which is a big event that happens in Plymouth, Minnesota at this time of the year, right around the spring equinox time. So it's going to be the 17th, 18th, and 19th. And actually on the 19th, I'm going to be releasing my episode on Ostara and Mabin. So looking at the wheel of the year and that equinox point, what that means and how you can honor it, regardless of where you live in the world, regardless of what type of climate you may have. And then on March 26, we're going to bring on Roxanne Chepute to talk about the universal laws. So a couple episodes ago, I talked about the law of attraction and the book, The Secret. We're going to delve a bit deeper on the universal laws in general during that episode. So looking forward to talking with you soon. And with that, have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by the Mystic Geek. That's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing. <laughs>